Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is the Repeat Beat Poet, aka PJ, your conversational host doing the verbose most as always. I hope you're doing okay. There's still a global pandemic on, so I hope you're keeping safe as you can, wherever you can. Shouts out to all the listeners on long walks, all the listeners pottering around the house. However you're tuning in, I do appreciate you spending the time with us. This week's guest is a fellow Ghanaian in poetry, a fellow hip-hop poet as well, the one and only Otis Mensa. He is a self-described mum's house philosopher, and he's a fantastically forward-thinking writer and performer with an alternative take on hip-hop, music, and abstract poetry. He focuses on using art as a means of documenting journeys of introspection, and his work aims to demonstrate the personal and political power of vulnerable expression. Um, He takes influences from the rhythmic and expressive freedom of jazz and uses aesthetic language as an instrument to solo his way in freestyle through the themes of racial identity, masculinity and coming of age. He's performed alongside Benjamin Zephaniah. He's opened for hip-hop acts like Arrested Development, The Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Wu-Tang Affiliate Killer Priest, uh, the wonderful artist Mahalia, um, UK rap Don Loki, uh, leader of the art rap movement Open Mike Eagle, even Charlie Tuna, um, and he's toured with jazz rap legends Blue and Exile. I managed to see um, his show in November last year um, in London, opening for Blue and Exile, and it was a fantastic performance. I knew I'd have to speak to him at length, at length and in depth. Uh, So I'm very glad now to be welcoming him onto the Lunar Poetry Podcast. This chat was recorded on January the 15th, 2020 from our respective East London and Sheffield homes. It's a real deep dive into Otis's creative process, including his concept of introspective documentarianism, don't worry, he explains it, and his tenure as Sheffield Poet Laureate with all of the opportunities and challenges that entailed, and how hip-hop operates in community, society and academia. Otis also graces us with three poems. Uh, They'll be available to read via the transcripts, which are linked in the description, alongside all the relevant social media handles uh, and links to Otis's work, including his book Safe Metamorphosis and his music project Otis Mensa Exists. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with somebody who also might enjoy it. Word of mouth has always been the best recommendation for us, and the more people talking about poetry, the better. Without any further ado, let's get into the conversation. Hello there, Otis Mensa. Are you there? I am there indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Way, mate. It is an absolute pleasure to speak to you uh, on the Lunar Podcast. This is a conversation um, I've been wanting to have with you on record, as it were, uh, for a long time. Yeah, most definitely. It feels like a long time coming. We've uh, we've had lots of uh, conversations off the record button, so it's it's nice to it's nice to finally hit record on it. It's true, man. It's true. For those people listening who haven't had the joy of hearing. Uh, your music or reading your work before could you just introduce yourself very briefly to our wonderful audience yeah for sure so uh as you heard my name is Otis Mensah um I consider myself a a hip-hop artist first and foremost um or a rap poet if you will and um yeah I'm, I'm just a just a human being trying to stay creative trying to stay inspired um and trying to provoke philosophical thought you know so um through through the artistic medium and forum of rap uh in that inhabits the culture of hip-hop mm, extensive but i am already loving the synergy the zipping together of of uh, <laughs> rap music and hip-hop culture and poetry because they are so overlaid and um when i was thinking about ways in which to uh center and uplift the poetics of rap within the mm-hmm. lunar poetry podcast your name was super high on my list uh, as people to talk about it with. Oh, wow. Thank you, man. That, that means a lot. Um, so to begin, to start off, could you just 
try and explain, lay out some of the foundations about how you began writing and what that was like for you in the world of poetry and hip hop? Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's a good question. It's, I always enjoy that question because it's uh, forces me to look black to look back. I feel like my my memory on how I got started is 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 always a little more blurry because um, you get so lost in in doing things in the present. You know, trying to progress. It's all every, everything about sort of our society is is moving forward. Is think about the future, and, and our society doesn't often give us time to stand. Uh, sit back and, and reflect, should I say? So, yeah, I really, I really enjoy that question. I think for me, um, I, I always had a had a sort of passion for for words, even as a as a as a kid. I think my my grandmother tells me uh, that I was always asking what words mean. I was always curious about the definition of words, and um, and I think that carried on into my sort of teenagehood. I was I was looking for some sort of expressionistic outlet as a teenager, um, dealing with the sort of existential angst that you deal with as a teenager, uh, thinking about my identity, thinking about uh, where I sit within my sort of social circle, you know, in relation to my peers, uh, what my politics are, who am I, what do I believe, what do I like, that uh, that I guess that moment of reckoning, a moment of of independent thought that you get the opportunity to have as a teenager um and i took some time to isolate myself and 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 sort of uh take my way uh take myself away from from what my peers were doing and what my peers were into um and i i discovered i needed some sort of expressionistic outlet you know i had i had a, a sort of weight a melancholy or depression if you will and i needed to untangle that and um hip hop eventually after after sifting through different sort of art forms uh i feel that the stars aligned if you will because i i came back to hip hop which was somewhat of an influence from my childhood uh you know my dad being a hip hop dj you know having decks around the house as i was a child my mum being a poet um though these were very subconscious yeah yeah i mean again not you know writing for her own uh her own uh personal sort of hobby and, and passion but definitely being a poet but it's 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 almost like these influences weren't very um very apparent to me you know they were very sort of subconscious and i didn't i, I never really thought about them but uh, eventually coming full, full circle and discovering the culture of hip hop and, and going back and listening to all the music of tribe and, and, and listening to Nas and, and listen, and, and, you know, maybe getting into the more obscure side of hip hop that, that perhaps came from sort of like uh freestyle fellowship and, and, you know, thinking about open Mike Eagle, thinking about Milo bus driver. When that sort of happened, I started to feel like I'd found my, my niche, if you will. And I felt like, uh, there was a certain power of, of vulnerability, um, a power in vulnerability, being honest in my expression, you know, and uh, and we can get into the politics of vulnerability. Um, but in, in the way that I talk about it, I'm talking about it in its in its most radical term, you know, feeling like a community is created um, between the artists and and the listeners. So myself. So I wanted I wanted to engage in it. I, I heard it, it was helping me and I wanted to understand its history. I wanted to understand its cultural relevance and its power because I felt its power viscerally. So I wanted to understand it politically and societally. Um, and, and my life was changed from there. Hip hop changed my life, you know. Oh, that's uh i mean that's that's plugging another podcast isn't it i'm pretty sure that's a different podcast mate most definitely <laughs> um, um it's, i mean you kind of touched on it there about um not only the power of vulnerability and the power in vulnerability but you spoke about how coming to hip-hop as a as an independent thinker and as your own thinker allowed you to kind of delineate yourself away from um the things that were happening around you in society and in politics mm -hmm. and that and that's really really interesting to me because hip-hop as a public and popular art form mm -hmm. is so broad and so vast and so extensive now it's global yeah. it's it, it's in everything from the fiercely anti-capitalist to the mm -hmm. you know like to, 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 to the to the most popular adverts of the time um, for sure and you know we were both born in what like you know the the, the mid 90s which is seen as yep. a bit of a golden era of hip-hop um but it also maps on to it, it also maps on to the way in which 
we were, I think, and I wonder if you could speak on this, um, to the way in which we were positioned as having like all of this wealth of of culture to be able mm-hmm. to interact with, you know, like we had uh, the first generation, you know, to be growing up as quote digital natives, unquote, mm-hmm. you know, this 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 sheer glut of art that we could consume. How yeah. did you find your niche? Because you spoke about Open Mike Eagle and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Milo and Bus Driver and that kind of art movement, which is, I think, if I'm right in saying the Midwest in America and about like, you know, mid 2000s in time. How did you find uh, your niche yeah. there? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um hmm, I think it was it was a it, it was a long journey and like you said sort of hip hop is so is so broad and you know the word the words hip hop uh, have been used and and sort of weaponized in so many different ways. Um sometimes for, sometimes used for good and utilized and uh and sometimes used for for uh, I guess the 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 ploys and and the devious purpose of of sort of racist capitalism. So yeah, it's it's very broad. So I I guess I guess it's uh, I guess it's important for me to distinguish that. So I guess when I when I talk about hip hop, um, I'm at a point now where uh, I'm talking about its um, cultural sort of uh, potency and its cultural power, um, and I'm talking about it as a as a as a sort of movement that. That embodies um, that embodies different elements. Rap being one of them, you know. So, and I, the way I the way I f- identify with hip hop is, I think about it as a true folk art, if you will. I think about it as possessing uh, such a potent form of poetry within it, um, and I think that's because hip hop has a natural link and lineage to community and uh, and being sort of having a need to tell the truth of a community. Uh, especially when white supremacy and and capitalism has tried to obscure that truth and weaponize uh, and weaponize certain ideology against the community. So I think hip hop has truth at its forefront, which is really important for me because that's where it links to, in my mind, that's where it links to vulnerability. This idea of being truthful and being honest, uh, being a, a sort of truth bearer of your community, what I like to call a community philosopher, um, and that sort of cutting through the the uh i guess uh misconceived ideas that uh, that dominate outside of uh, that, that dominate the outside society and i guess the the very purposeful uh harmful ideas that dominate outside of society so yeah i see hip hop as as powerful in its in its artistic form but also uh as as we just spoke about in its political form so it it took me a bit of a while to get to that point to get to seeing hip hop as that uh sort of entity and i think it it definitely began with understanding uh the the history of of the culture you know uh trying to understand the the socio and political background that hip hop was born from learning about cool herc learning about what he brought from jamaica in terms of sound system culture uh to the states and um yeah, thinking about what that meant for for how it developed, thinking about its lineage and link to jazz and jazz culture and jazz music, and uh, I guess the 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 history that that stems from. So it took me a while, but it started with you know it started with listening to um, I guess what you would call the forefathers of our specific uh, generation. So like you said, if we're if we're from if if we were born in let's say nineteen ninety five, uh, I I always I always think it's a little trickier to go back an extra decade. So the forefathers in my mind, though, are not of course the the ultimate forefathers. The forefathers in my mind, or the people who carried the torch, were your people like Tribe Called Quest, were your you know you know everyone who stemmed from the native tongues movement, um, and I guess that's that's who I gravitated towards. I felt there was uh, there was more there, there was truth there, you know, and I felt that um, there was an active defiance against um, the the outside uh, the outside society and and sort of uh, white supremacy and capitalism trying to marketize hip hop they were making a, a, a sort of a, an obvious intention to fight and combat that ideology um which i think really influenced me and I, and I, you know i guess 
um, everything is relative to its time. But as I as I started to listen to more hip hop as a teenager, uh, I got into Kid Cudi, and and you know not to not to say Kid Cudi doesn't have his his any roots in capitalism and doesn't have any flaws. But uh, Kid Cudi was it was quite radical what he was what he was doing in and of its time because you know he was surrounded around uh, surrounded by sort of a, a lot of swag rap, a lot of. Um, talking about brands a lot of you know maybe fabricating the truth talking about uh upholding a certain image uh maybe maybe a hyper masculine image and kid Cudi came out and talked openly about his depression and anxiety um and that really that really transformed me and 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 led me to want to seek out other art uh, other artists who did that you know who put truth at their forefront so yeah it was a journey to get to that um and i think kid, kid Cudi was a was a key figure he was a gateway drug he opened me up to other uh, sounds and uh, sort of um other forms of experimentation within the genre um and I, I i just got a lust for it from there and i just wanted to hear and understand more that's wonderful i do i do remember when that man in the moon album came out and it was something markedly different to hear vulnerability, not only in the lyrics, but in the way the production morphed around the actual lyrics. It was about isolation and it was yeah. about um, uh, just this sense of having to come to terms with oneself. It was like, yeah. and and I still to this day place it as an incredible like a uh, rumination on introspection uh wow, in, yeah. in, in in like modern hip-hop um but i could talk about hip-hop all day and i'm sure we will but uh we're a few minutes into the podcast now and i'm aware that i also want to hear you read some poetry have you sure. got a first poem for us yeah i guess i'll uh i'll start with a poem that i uh i wrote during lockdown um it's called contrary to the intangible grapevine what a great title. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Pull that back, please. <laughs> this one's called Contrary to the Intangible Grapevine. They called the pain it takes to feel who you are necessary. To exhibit and exude what is wholly you. You know, with the slip-ups, the mishaps and the malaprops. To make a ballet of the mistake. To paint their censorship void. They say, takes harpooning a slippery ghost. <laughs> or holding the two-edged sword at both ends and feeling the cut like Thomas. Nursing the wound, healing and falling in love with the process. Sewing your eyes closed and Candyman repeating yourself away. What's with first or second nature in grossly tandem we broke the womb untamed, jagged and ogly. The straight line will beautify and purify as if only we done learn the jive. And quit drunken boxing shadows for laughter and patterns. But contrary to the intangible grapevine, I heard jazz from inception. Sloppy worded, disordered, uncombed still, remaining true to essence if nothing else. See, I don't fact check the mirror too often nowadays. It's been too long swallowing that spiral staircase of antagonising self-perception. Shoveling it down the gutter and praying for a punctured lung or some sort of morsel of acceptance. You see, now, I nurture a shrine for silence, and not in ignorance, but to hear bigger, and not in gluttony, but to see clearer, and still in dance, it's just now we dance more. Family, we dance wilder. I'm just me more. Thank you. Hey... I'm just me more. Isn't that like a mission statement in poetry? A way yeah. in which to be more of ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Um, tell me about uh, where that poem comes from, because am I right in thinking you have a, a book out currently? Is it called Otis? No, it's called Safe Metamorphosis, right? Yeah, it is indeed. So that that uh, poem, I would say, came about from... Uh, 
a need to sort of reckon with uh, sort of my self-perception, you know, th- thinking, you know, and, and, and I guess what spills into it is, is maybe a, a little bit about body image and, you know, sort of looking in the mirror and not being too familiar with what you see. It was in some, it was in fact something that was inspired by um, a commission from uh, visual verse, which is an incredible online publication, um, which, uh, combine visual art and ask poets to uh to write something that they're inspired by from the from the piece of art or the 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 photo um but yeah for, for me that that was really coming from a place of uh society's outside voice telling you you know that you look a certain way that you appear a certain way that you're not walking the line that you're not walking straight enough that you're you know you're not clean enough or whatever, whatever those, uh, th- that sort of indistinct chatter of society might be, um, coming to terms with that and, and finally finding a way to shut it out. Um, but not in a, not in, not from a place of ignorance, but from a place of understanding, you know, mm, a place of, understanding, and, uh, yeah, yeah, the book safe metamorphosis, uh, comes slightly before this poem and, um, it's my debut uh, book of poetry. Uh, it was published uh, with Prototype in June, um, in in the heart of the the, the first lockdown, and um, is essentially an exploration of of trying to, I, I guess, a similar a similar place of of uh, um, the poem that I just read. It's about coming to terms with um, what I like to call our socially normalized trauma, the traumas that we. Um, that we experience, that we shove in the back of our sort of cerebrum, and that we, uh, that, you know, that, that aren't necessarily validated by society. It's coming to terms with those, um, and and uh, yeah, I, I guess thinking about poetry and and art as a means of adorning our pain um, through the the act of sort of what I like to call introspective documentarianism, delving inwards and. Um, and making something pretty out of something uh, out of something hurtful, and eventually understanding what happened in the first place from that process. Mm, you mentioned that term, introspective document. Can you say that again? Because I think it'll be interesting to like to really delve into to what I think is a process that's really central to a lot of your work. I mean, having been following you since about, I think. 2016 17 when you're dropping eps uh-huh. um having had the joy of seeing you perform um uh, at uh penting poetry at the poetry cafe um mm-hmm. and then and then again at penting uh, at set in dalston um and then really digging into your work you do an interesting thing with introspection where mm-hmm. it's very public it's mm-hmm. direct and it's a vulnerability that's immediately like tangible which is a really difficult quality to have in the final stage of putting out work and not only putting out work physically when you're performing putting out work on the page and putting out work on wax like I think this idea of introspective documentarianism did you say I think yeah exactly yeah could you just like you know like explode this this concept for me yeah no first of all i really appreciate that and and um yeah i i appreciate you uh sort of always providing insight about my own work and 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 sort of always connecting to it it's like it's it's extremely encouraging for me as an artist and i have to say like some of those uh those gigs at, at penting those those few encounters that we've had when i came came to london and performed have been some of my most I don't know, exhilarating performances uh, as a performer, you know, Uh, not even talking about my performance itself, but speaking about the experience as a performer um, and engaging with what you created uh, or what you've helped to create um, is really a sort of artist changing experience. So yeah, thank you for that. And it, and actually that uh, engaging with, with, uh, the mediums and and the the sort of realms of performance that that you've helped build has really actually altered my um or helped me round my definition of poetry do you know what i mean and helped me have have some of these conversations so thank you first and foremost um and then in terms of introspective documentarianism it's, i guess it's a term that i that i uh that i came up with to try and 
um, think about what it is that I'm doing. Because like you said, it is something that involves introspection on a very deep scale. But I, I wanted to I wanted to give it a word and, and the reason I wanted to give it a title. And I like giving things titles because I like to think that, uh, you know, in other art forms, uh, maybe in classical or maybe in realms of academia, or, you know, thinking about philosophy, um, people give things titles all the time. You know, they just throw a word and say, this is what it means. And this is, and therefore it, it holds some sort of, uh, uh, authority or, you know, has some sort of, uh, equity to it and some sort of density. And I think that, um, that that comes with a certain power. I think there's a certain elitism that we need to sieve out of that. And we can notice that in academia when we, when we can see that, you know, this is actually a form of elitism that's, that's trying to keep people out, uh, but, you know, I wanted to take something of that, make make a bit of a, a, you know, ridicule it a little bit. You know, this this sort of elitist way of just throwing a title on something, but also see if I can find any utility and function to it myself. So giving my creativity the term introspective documentarianism, uh, introspective documentarianism has allowed me to think of it as a, uh, a valid process of uh, excavating um introspective excavating thinking about what a documentarian does you know making this documentary about the outer world about society about what they see whether that's within people whether that's emotionally whether that's within a landscape whether that's you know geographically i wanted to think about that process when it's turned inwards so that's what the music is it's it's creating a documentary from the introspection yeah okay i'm yeah i feel that I feel that now with that sort of framework around around how I read your work, I feel that's a good um, a good foundation to like contextualize what it is that you do. Um, yeah. Especially when you're rhyming, especially when you're rapping, there's um there's there's a tendency that you have to to uh to be so in the flow with like vowel sounds and assonance and and like sentence phrasing you know sometimes you'll write one sentence which is a whole half verse you know yeah and and it's very easy as a listener to to really get lost in the weeds of just how the words sound and then let that sort of wash over you before even getting to a deeper reading of of you know like meaning and double meaning and subtext um, yeah i really so appreciate that and like you know that's how that. i listen to rap to be honest that you know there's there's so many uh like extremely complex multi-layered uh like verses that i haven't even really delved into i just love the way they wash over me you know it's like i love the way the language sounds sometimes i might not even be familiar with what the word means but the way the language washes over me it sort of has this transformative effect that that is definitely unique to to uh, a realm that exists within hip hop culture. You know, it's definitely unique to the art form of rap. Um, this this idea that the, this aesthetic language can just sort of wash over you and create its own world and impression. That's what I'm aiming towards. That's what I I truly appreciate. So I really appreciate you uh you uh, making a point of that. Hey, I'm all for the close reading. I mean, if you uh, if you listen to uh, to last uh, week's episode or the episode preceding this, I was speaking to uh, the poet and academic Katie Ailes, and she just finished writing an entire PhD on the uh, authenticity of performance uh, wow. within spoken word and uh, and and within poetry in general. And now I've got these thoughts that color my reading of literal text on the page, my reading of performances, my reading of records. And, yeah. um, and, and I think having, not only having this space on the Lunar Poetry podcast, um, but having space in general to have deeper critical readings of poetry. I think it's a fundamental, like, it's a fundamental activity, deeper reading of poetry, I mean, uh, that mm -hmm. can help the poetry community grow together with each other and then yeah. grow externally wider outside to people who aren't already reading and interacting with poetry. And that's mm -hmm. also another reason why I wanted to have 
you on the podcast because you've done a lot of work kind of linking um linking uh different rap movements into poetry in the uk i've seen you interview um uh, open Mike Eagle, and I think that's part of the work you're doing with the University of Sheffield around rap music and poetry. Could yeah. you just talk a bit about um about your work with the University of Sheffield? You've spoken about academia, um, mm-hmm. and how you're and how you're bringing rap music into that space, and hopefully, fingers crossed, really challenging the academic world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that, man. I guess. Um... I guess what you said is is totally uh, explanatory of, of what what the project is. It is about presenting uh, academia with the burden of truth that um, so many times in our very recent history and in our, in our current present, um, academia has had a, a warped view of hip hop culture and warped view of the art form of rap, usually a racist view usually um you know a very surface level reductionistic view of rap it's seen as something that's uncivilized that it's, it's cheapened um and of course i can't speak to every academic uh, academic uh, institution i can't speak to every academic because of course every individual will have their own journey with hip hop culture and and that's that's what's so truthful and telling about hip hop is that everyone has something to say about hip hop because it really has impacted uh generation after generation after generation uh since its inception so it's you know Toronto it's like uh it's it's lingua franca you know yeah yeah 100 percent. that's that's exactly what it is it's 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 really um it's almost undefinable you know the the impact that it's had so you know with that bec- uh comes comes uh the misinterpretation of hip-hop and the misunderstanding of hip-hop because of course people within academia may not have done the anti-racist work and may be working from a sort of racist framework and therefore they are going to uh tarnish this beautiful culture with that same uh that same perception and outlook so i guess uh, at the core of the project that i did with the university of sheffield it originally came about um uh by a collaboration with dr alex mason um in the the um humanitarian department uh with a project that he has called knowledge exchange and we were doing a uh, our first public lecture and it was on um race philosophy and hip-hop and uh i then from that got the opportunity to uh to take on the role as as the university of sheffield's artist in residence for 2020 and that's where the series of talks came from we wanted to explore what we what I delved into in the in the lecture in in a little more depth and yeah as I was saying at the core of it is picking apart uh people's idea of what hip-hop is but truly focusing my energy on um I guess exploring the the bountiful um boundless nature of what hip-hop is and can be when you understand its history and its context and understand its impact in its truest form because for me hip-hop is uh something rap being from the culture of hip-hop is something that is a potent form of poetry and you know i i I think about myself as a as a as an artist and you know i i might introduce myself from time to time as a poet but the only reason i really do that is because of a political reason i don't think uh i would ever go hi my name's otis mens from a poet sounds somewhat uh pompous maybe or maybe puts a <laughs> puts a halt to the conversation but the reason why i do it is because i noticed at some point when i was a uh you know maybe a late teenager early adult i noticed that wow this 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 potent art form this incredible cr- incredibly transformative art form uh thinking about the roots thinking about the album things fall apart thinking about what black thought brings to the table to poetry and linguistics um I was I was I was hit with this sort of like uh paradox. I was like, why is it not being accredited? Or why is hip hop uh being seen as something cheapened or being something seen as something cheap or unpoetic? So then I started to make an effort to say politically, hi, my name is Otis Mensah. I'm a poet that derives from the culture of hip hop. And no, my my influences aren't Shakespeare or William Wordsworth, my influences are Black for Open Mike Eagle, you know, maybe Tribe Called Quest. So 
um, for me, that, that that was a sort of defiant act of resistance against this sort of uh, this this sort of uh, entity of of academic disregarding of what hip hop is. Mm, extensive man, um, and just for any uh, listeners who are interested, if you go to Otis Mensa's YouTube channel, uh, you can see a playlist of uh, these. Uh, long form conversations uh, about hip hop culture and uh, and uh, poetry um, under the playlist just called Rhyme and Reason. It'll be linked in the description. Um, Amazing, indeed. I think this is um, maybe a natural point to have a second reading of a poem. Yeah, let's do it. So um, I'll perform a I'll perform a piece from uh, my Otis Mensa Exist project called The Finks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hair in the comb, bear in the bone, don't fit the mold I'm in. Droopy and low, I'm hanging fruit of the symposium. Pick me till I bleed, I'm the breeze that carries your speech and the hole that they throw your roses in Jacoby in a game I'm lonely in. I play right, but I wrote you out of it. I'm out of it and over it, the circle that you claw me with and cycles that I row against. With oars for arms, crying wolf like doves and false alarms, crocodile tear charms. My fear still at large, but I became the iron that you score me with and smile when you saw me in. To try and spot a supernova in a soul of sin. Hold the cliffhanger like bouldering when it don't stick like soldering. Salty trills of trigonometry at hierarch, shrouded with magnolia, the loneliness. From where forever grows to where the river flows. From where you never know, somewhere you never go. I pick a fight with time and pay a bill with tropes. It's like a treasure to trove. I'm never letting go. Hair in the comb, bare in the bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Staring the ball, wearing some old milk. Fighting the things like climbing the sphinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where will I go? Where will we? My mother said the last trumpet cried. A foot and fright, I never heard it. Staring in the sun benign. Curses, I must have missed that bus of mine. Hurdle over a herd of caged birds Taking flight with a burdened mind A sight that'll burn you blind I bend the line beginning of everything that's then defined In a knife fight with an empty life Conspire against me I just fold in quarters In the trenches became a friend of night And it was then when I was sanctified Carry my cross the pain is temporary My Armageddon won't be televised A revolution bruised behind my eyes Before they hang me up for violent crimes Scribe my ills with quill and console my cries My hope is bonafide And they say that you live many lives Well I've committed self-genocide too many times I romanticize the best demise Cause in this blood sport you need death to rise No Nirvana Never mind Thank you Oh mate I wish you could see me man I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been funk facing And just nodding my head through that entire thing When I listen Thank to you, this bro. back I'm gonna be like that bar and that bar And that bar <laughs> Thanks so much man Jeez. Okay. Okay. Oh, right. I have to have to have to recompose myself. Um, <laughs> no, no. But um, so I wanted to uh, building off the back of, of, of that piece, uh, like called the thinks. Um, and it's from your sort of like, I don't know whether to call it a series of singles or, or, yeah. or, or just your, or your ongoing series called Otis Mensa exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Could you talk a bit about, what you're trying to do with this series um you can talk about you know a couple of the incredible features you've had uh, on this series one hemlock ernst uh, from yeah. future islands um and yeah just to kind of introduce your your musical output and how that's fitting within your work currently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure man thank you for that I'm, uh yeah like you said it is a series of singles it's uh, it's called otis mentor exists and um it's actually a series of of songs in in collaboration in 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 i guess in um in conjunction with uh, a series of anim- animation pieces so i worked closely with um with a Sheffield artist called Jim Spendlove, who has done a lot of incredible pieces and and we I, I sort of noticed that he'd that he'd done some some great 
pieces around his his passion for hip hop. You know, I think he did an an MF Doom piece earlier on. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in uh, peace to the legend MF Doom. Uh, he did an MF Doom piece, and I saw some other incredible pieces he did. So I reached out to him. I had this these series of ideas, visual ideas that went along with the songs, and he was really able to bring them to light and uh, create these animations around them. So that's that's what the project is in a nutshell. Um, philosophically and poetically, uh, the the music itself comes from my influence from from jazz music, as as a lot of my uh, music does, and this this idea that I really want to break form, if you will, and I want to see my my uh, my delivery of of rap poetry um, as if I was a, a saxophonist or as if I was a a trumpet player on a solo. Um, and I was, you know, I was playing with the pocket and I was losing myself in, in, in the zone, if you will, or, you know, um, playing with flow. So that's, that's where it comes from artistically. Philosophically, we, we spoke about, we spoke about the power of vulnerability and, um, how a lot of my early work and a, a lot of my influence of, of, you know, in this, I guess, artistic realm comes from wanting to be honest and vulnerable. Uh, this particular piece came from me wanting to interrogate that vulnerability a little bit. I noticed that in this world, so many things are usurped by capitalism. And, and I don't just mean by capitalism as an outside societal entity. I mean, maybe a, 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 maybe a, a usurp from our um, internalization of capitalism. And, it's and almost what like self-censorship, with. isn't it? Like even yeah, before exactly. we put out you know, the work, we use the language of consumers and product and 100%. what what might sell, etc. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Exactly that. So, you know, I realized that perhaps there's there's capitalism in the seams of my definition of vulnerability. And I wanted to I wanted to interrog interrogate that. So I noticed that, you know, of course it's it's great being vulnerable and there's a sense of community uh, built but um, what happens if that vulnerability is just a vehicle for you to uh, to build a bigger audience? If it if it comes to a point where you're saying, you know, I'm being honest so I can relate to more people, um, and that sounds positive in and of itself because maybe the end might be positive, but I think n not always the ends justify justify the means. So I started to think about that. Um, what's my intention here? And I realized that actually my intention here wasn't vulnerability. My intention here wasn't to relate as such. My intention was to survive. And I started to think about um, writing and, and performing as a, as a means of existential archiving and me being able to document my very existence in a time where our impending sense of doom uh, is very visceral. It's very real, and our mortality is realer than ever in a society and a world. We're in the midst of this global pandemic. Our our mortality is is so feels more imminent than it ever did. So um, why I am I writing? I'm writing sorry. to survive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I I I had to I had to enter this, especially because in the way that that our lifetimes have played out. So from the mid '90s, if you're born in the mid '90s, your mm -hmm. world has been the gradual disillusion of the myth that you will lead a more prosperous and better life necessarily than your parents just by the you know ju just by the trope of living later um yeah. we don't have to like run over all the traditional events but whether it's um you know uh 9-11 a couple mm -hmm. of global financial crises um uh, a global uh, health pandemic um yeah. there's been and Obviously, I can only speak for myself here, um, but there's been this feverish buildup of crisis moments and mm. crises in which mortality, especially for us here in England, in the West, in like, you know, the top uh, one percent of, of, mm. of wealth havers across the world. I feel that the the insulation that. Yeah all of those privileges have afforded us are still very much here, but are mm -hmm. decreasing. And also our awareness of the insulation that we have is mm -hmm. increasing as we grow up because we understand that, you know, it was not all this, uh, it was not always this way. And also our privileges are the result of something, you know, yeah. we are not just uh, by chance in a wealthy nation actions mm -hmm. have been taken to make 
a wealthy nation where other nations have been exploited. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to throw that in because it's a really fascinating piece of context that's happening, yeah. I think, with 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 younger rappers, younger poets, poets mm-hmm. of, of, of mixed heritage and African mm-hmm. heritage, both on the continent and in the diaspora. And it's something yeah. that I know we've spoken about off air a tiny bit. So I wanted to make sure that was part of this conversation, too. No, thank you for, for making that point. I think that's that's uh, a point that that can't be separated from 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 this 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 conversation. Do you know what I mean? It's it's uh it's the heart and soul of it really. Uh it's where it's where we come from. It's the environment that's given birth to a lot of our ideas or our, our, a lot of our resistance to the ideas that have been fed to us. So it's extremely important. You're you're hundred percent right. Um yeah that that's that's very true. And I and I think that also a lot of the 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 sort of uh, the, the, a lot of the mental space that I was coming from was realizing what you just said and then realizing that I was so shrouded and that that a lot of us are so shrouded in our own comforts that it becomes somewhat um it becomes somewhat uh, suffocating you know thinking about sort of a millennial malaise thinking about a sort <laughs> of uh suffocating in your own comforts it's crazy what a privilege but it it happens, you know. It's like I've got food in my fridge, I've got a house over my head, yet I'm 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 suffering this sort of uh, this identity crisis, you know. I, I'm I maybe thinking about the overconsumption of of the internet, and and by no means blaming the symptom, by no means blaming the overcome the overconsumption of the internet, but saying, look at the society that has pushed us into this way of acting. What is this society that's pushed us into that, that direction? And how do we, uh, how do we combat it internally and mentally, you know, in order for us to change, uh, the reality externally? Mm, I think that's, um, I think it's a central question that we can continue to ask, continue to ask ourselves, not Mm -hmm. only in the present moment, but ask ask of ourselves in the past and ask of ourselves in the future like for sure what has had to happen for the societies in which we live to encourage us to have tendencies uh to act in a certain way and it's um yeah. what you were saying about survival and about resistance um i think that this is um it's a really powerful uh, train of thought and a really powerful area of conversation that's uh, that's that's happening within poetry, um, mm-hmm. especially um, and, and 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 you know I'm going to use this to pivot into uh, into a slightly different area of conversation, but I think it's a really important conversation that's happening in younger poets of uh, you know uh, mixed and mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, basically poets who are aware of like the history of race within yeah. the UK and within yeah. England specifically. Um, yeah, so definitely. Could, you, could you, could you talk a bit about your time as the poet laureate of Sheffield? And mm-hmm. I introduce this now to say that, you know, during your time as poet laureate, uh, you were under the mayorship of Majid Majid, who mm-hmm. was um, incredibly outspoken as a representative of the people of Sheffield, of oppressed people of Sheffield, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be they uh, be they refugees, be they poorer people uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the class system, be they uh, the homeless. Um, and uh, Majid was advocating for these people in the European Parliament um, and then also uh, as much as you can as a mayor um, in, in, in your city. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting position because poets have been increasingly positioned as voices of the people, voices of the mm-hmm. cities across England. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder what that experience was like for you. I wonder, um, I wonder if you could just speak to what it was like being the Poet Laureate of Sheffield. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, thank you for, for bringing that up. I mean, uh, what you said is 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 completely key and imperative. Uh, thinking about uh, the politics of Majid and um, how he, you know, created a flourishing in the city um, in terms of community from those politics is is truly amazing, and that's truly where the role of, of my poet laureateship came from. Um, you know, Majid 
is someone who uh in during his time as 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 lord mayor has been someone who has looked at um dismantling uh you know traditions that really cover up uh, elitist systems of oppression um racist systems of oppression and otherwise capitalistic systems of oppression and he's uh really tried uh he's really succeeded in in different areas at, at dismantling that um and i think one of his ways of doing that was was trying to appoint somebody um as poet laureate who hasn't necessarily had the classical training uh as a as a traditional poet and uh, like we said before there's so much that goes into our definition of what it means to be a poet and usually from the outside society that's something elitist and it's something whitewashed you know usually the the person who is taking a role like this is is a white person who can quote their their uh their degree poetry you know the poetry that they learned on their syllabus and that's been a, a sort of tradition that can be can could have been carried on for years but yeah majid disrupted the noise um and i wanted to carry on that disrupting of noise you know so it was important to me to make sure that not only am i am i doing my best to integrate these systems of power through my poetic work as poet laureate um but also be aware of of, of uh systems of, of of racism in the shape of colorism what during my time as poet laureate thinking about tokenism and how different maybe academic institutions or different uh cultural and artistic institutions uh really um show their ugly head in terms of their their racist ideology um when it comes to picking someone uh as light-skinned as me someone who identifies as a as a black person of color but someone who is light-skinned trying to understand that and trying to dismantle that within myself and maybe integrate that you know when i'm when i'm taking up opportunities and think about that more um and make sure that i can put uh black poets black artists uh on the lineups where i have where i have the opportunity to do so you know that was really important to me my favorite my favorite artists and the art form that shaped me is a black art form and i think there's always um there's always a, a very cunning uh plot to try and water that down or dilute that in some way by outside sources you know um or maybe not pay uh, to, to try and distract you so you don't pay credit to your forefathers. So I wanted to make note that no, you know, my you, you, I might sound poetic to you. I might be in this role of poet poet laureate um, that is that has got its uh, roots in in sort of a, a whitewashed um, idea of the art form. But believe me, you, I am not. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let that slide whilst I'm here. And I don't want to. I don't want to sort of. Um, adhere to that sort of ideology so uh it was it was often about standing up against that ideology when it was when it was pushed in my face and um yeah and and carrying that on into my own art and thinking about you know coming to terms with my own identity and battling uh my own definition of of race and where i stand within it and especially in these these in these current times it's become a a, a even more important for me to do that and for me to understand things so a lot of the time as poet laureate was about learning and understanding and um yes standing uh, trying to stand attempting to stand as a voice of resistance um what were your maybe could you give us a couple of a couple of really strong memories from that time maybe a an experience where you learned something or or just a time that sticks in your mind uh, during your 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 laureateship residency. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, I mean, even uh, I guess uh, during <laughs> my my tenure as poet laureate. Tenure, <laughs> yes. Um, that's a good question, man. I I I was really afforded some incredible opportunities that that um that really stood out to me, and and that probably I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so outside of that that title. And that was delivering my first public lecture 
you know, seeing people uh, engage in these conversations around race, around philosophy, um, around hip hop, and me being able to sort of center center hip hop in the converse, in the poetic academic conversation was very important to me. So opportunities that I got to do that were really um, standout-ish in my head, you know. So the public lecture, I think times when I got to deliver school assemblies on hip hop, when I got to go and do poetry workshops centered around hip hop as a poetic art form, um, you know, building the first poetry stage at Tramlines, which yourself uh, was a part of, you know, um thank you for that by the way that was a wicked no game. thank you yeah it was it was such an incredible weekend and and uh yeah it was it was amazing to have you a part of it and and for you to give your truth and your poetic uh credibility to it so yeah that opportunity for me to say hey let me reach out to some of my favorite poets let me reach out to people who i've met on my journey um that that those are the moments that stand out to me, and of course, publishing my first book um, off the back of the the laureate title is is, is something that that means a lot to me. Mm, okay, that's it's really good to hear um, to hear like sort of what functionally you were doing as as a poet laureate because um, it's a role which is afforded, you know. Um, a hell of a lot of privilege, a lot of access, a lot of publicity. Um, and there's always the question of, well, what's the person actually doing with this? Yeah, you know, for sure. what is, what is actually the role of this? And, um, just to bring it back to the kind of, to the, to the, to the place of resistance and the culture of resistance, which is within poetry. Um, and, and especially within, you know, poets, uh, from, from the UK right now who are fighting against, you know, their our own corporate state, our own mm-hmm. imperial history, our own yeah. uh, uh, complicity in in the oppression. Um, there's a quote by Cornell West uh, where mm-hmm. he says that we've become adjusted to injustice, um, and I think a fascinating a fascinating thing that lots of poet laureates um, and and just poets who are writing across the UK in general are doing is they are refusing to continually uh, be comfortable in mm-hmm. in the injustice that we see um, yeah. and i think that with 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 sheffield's specific history um of uh, of 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 you know being the steel town uh, mm-hmm. a, a huge center of industrialization during the industrial re- revolution um, yeah. a place that grew rich off profits which were made by uh, like you know, um, exploitation of, mm-hmm. of 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 resources from countries across the British Empire. Yeah. Um, I think that positioning a critical voice, a resisting voice, um, as the voice of a city like Sheffield, um, is is something which is so necessary. And I think the benefits of the work that poets like yourself. Um, uh, Vanessa Kasule down in Bristol, um, mm-hmm. the the work that you're doing to, uh, to 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 bring up this history and make it a malleable thing again, and to challenge it and to challenge the legitimacy and authority of 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 um, the institutions of the like specifically the British state. I mm-hmm. think that the benefits of this work might not be seen immediately, might not be seen in the next few years its influence will resonate across history. I really do feel that because this is the first yeah. time that a lot of these developments have happened in the recognizable way that we see them now. Um, also yeah, with the, uh, with the increased like democratization of, you know, um, ostensibly with, with who can access that work in terms of the internet and, you know, just, just that sort of more, uh, publicly apparently uh, democratized like uh you know sharing yeah. of information um True. that was a long ramble but no, I, no, I, I, a very I, necessary ramble so necessary and isn't it just a joy to be able to have these conversations to enjoy what it is to be a poet within the context of our lives right now 100% man I love it and, and and thinking about that term that we chatted about the introspective documentarianism take away the introspection for a second and just think about documentarianism as a, as a, as a thing right now like man we are really living in a in a in a time that uh is going to make history you know that's going to stand out um in the history books so 
everything that you just said is a hundred percent true and i think um the work is imperative it's instrumental um and yeah poet poets like uh vanessa kasule and and some you know we we've got such an incredible caliber of of poetry um in the uk and and it's beautiful and uh, I'm, i'm thinking about the the new poet laureate of Sheffield, Warda Yassin, and and the incredible the work that she's going to be doing. She took over my position in in October uh, as part of the Off the Shelf Festival. Um, I'm just so excited for the for the legacy that she's continuing to create and and uh, for the resistance that she's continuing to stand for. She talks a lot about um, the utility of poetry and poetry being able to. Uh, you know, have a have an impact on the younger generation, and I'm I'm extremely excited to see the the work that she does flourish. You know, so it's 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 a uh, it's promising. You know, I'm I'm really excited to see to see that resistance take shape. Well, I wish her all the best, and uh, who knows, maybe in time I'll have her on the Lunar Poetry Podcast as well. Yes, that'd be dope. Um, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it already. Uh, just before we come up to uh to the hour mark. Um, could you give us maybe one final, one final poem? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll perform a, a few, a few rhymes from uh, a song from Oates Mentor Exists called No Record Store Day. Hatched out in a nest of problems. The blessed solved them, hear the heathens cackle. They pray against me, I'm the threshold broken, threshold broken. Snuff the stronghold, shake the bondage open. This game's a banquet, watch me eat until my belly bloating. Oh, you blowing? Golden, Sony Rollins at the bridge and broken. But I'm crossing over, if it's Sabbath, I shouldn't lift a finger. But if the feeling kosher, tag a shoulder, I once made an oath to kill a showin'. When intern sends the beat, it's symbiosis. There's no consoling, I'm a plague of locust. I used to walk around my rows until the poet pulled the sword from stonin'. I used to doze watching Dawson's Creek chewing forks and roads. Life's a footlong rigmarole to rigmamortis credits rollin'. Oh, you are very stoic, head is swollen, but your style is stolen like the land of totems. No stand innovations for invading culture. Rhymes are like catching a colonizer, on arrival, on a rifle, blood and sand it soaking, call it antisocial, I won't hang for no one, you ain't nothing but good brand imposer, selling fake woke like a tantric mogul, going through the motions, belly flop on skies, hand stand on oceans, when I drop a flow, critics dissolve, revolve their focus, call it magnum opus. Flabbergasted, I craft a classic, forget my streams, I rap like I carry caskets at your door not passing over. I get it with volition, you just play that mass hypnosis. But what's a nail to a hammer when I stroke the canvas like Yoko Ono? Boom, 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 rah. Oh, phenomenal. Thank you so much, Otis. Um, One last question before I let you go. For Um, sure, for sure. And that question is a question I enjoy asking uh, poets on this podcast. Uh-huh. Why poetry? Why poetry? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. Um, that's 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 maybe the biggest question that you've left for the last minute. Uh, but I'll I'll do I'll do an attempt. Thank you. Um, so why poetry? Poetry because um, I see it as a true folk art, and when I say folk art, I define it as something that uh, is viscerally and you know uh instrumentally linked to the community and and communities being uh collecting collectives of us and our stories and us needing those stories for us to continue our existence for us to document our existence and for for us to justify our own existence and understand our own emotional well-being and our emotional uh mark on the world and 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 the present moment so uh, why poetry? Poetry because uh, survival, you know. Poetry because I need to, I need to cut through the noise. I have a yearning to cut through the noise and say, "I was here. My name is Otis Mentor. This is my story. This is who I am. I existed once." That was a great answer, and you started off so unsure. I'm like, no, 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 no. I guarantee you're going to pop out some some gems in that. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, thank you once again for joining us uh, on the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Um, it's been fantastic speaking to you for this time, Otis Mensa. Any last, any last words to sign off with? 
Uh, no, just thank you so much for, for the work you're doing. Thank you for the for this podcast and, and this opportunity and this space. Um, if you want to check out any of my work, you can check out uh, the Otis Mensa Exist project at www.youtube.com slash Otis Mensa. That's O-T-I-S-M-E-N-S-A-H. Or you can just check me out at otismensa.com. Um, thank you so much, man. So gravy. Thank you very much. And there it was. A real meaty, hearty conversation, really digging into some uh, important um, topics, I feel, with Otis. Um, and we always talk like this, um, whether we're on or off microphone. So it's really, I'm really happy to have this conversation archived and to be able to share it with you. Um, thanks to Otis for his time and to you for sticking around. Give yourself a pat on the back for listening all the way through. I'm glad you can make the time for us. For more from Otis, go to Otis Mensa. That's O-T-I-S-M-E-N-S-A-H dot com. Um, a quick run through of the admin bits and notes of gratitude to do before we round off. Um, we're working to get the recent transcriptions uploaded, so please bear with us. I'm sorry for any um, inaccessibility uh, and inconvenience there. Um, I'd like to say thank you to Ella Jean of Mystery Planet Productions for her production skills. If you head to our website, lunapoetrypodcast.com, you can find all the previous episodes and their accompanying transcripts alongside our Poetry Podcast Finder, which is an archive of over 100 other poetry podcasts from the UK and Ireland too, so you can uh, listen to as much poetry as you can possibly handle. You can keep up with all the Lunar news by following Lunar Poetry Podcast on Facebook or at Lunar Poetry Pod on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you go for your quality podcasts, be that Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, we're everywhere. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with somebody else who might enjoy it. And as Audrey Lord said, poetry is not a luxury, it is a vital necessity of our existence. Until next time, I've been your host, doing the most, the repeat beat poet. Peace out, keep reading, keep buying poetry books, keep supporting poets, and thank you for listening. <laughs>